This is The Lonely Voice with Peter Orner from Book Public on Texas Public Radio. I'm Yvette Benavides. We're talking about Juan Rulfo again this week with a special guest, Alberto Reyes Morgan. He was a student of Peter Orner's, but is also a literary scholar and writer in his own right. We discussed the third in our series focusing on the stories of Juan Rulfo, the story Luvina. In literature, we often encounter the characters who live their days steeped in nostalgia, the Willie Loman types who hearken back to the glory days when everything was cast in the golden light of hope and potential. In Luvina by Juan Rulfo, however, we find a character who's convinced that the past is cast only in darkness because it was spent in Luvina, a town that he claims was inhospitable, unlivable, even phantasmagorical in its dark silences and lack of vivacity or color. The man had been a teacher in Luvina, had arrived there with his wife and children in the dark of an endless night that portended the awful years he would spend there. When our story opens, the old teacher is sitting in a bar, one town over from Luvina. He drinks beer and tells his tale of woe as a cautionary tale to the younger man who will be the new teacher in the town. With that man, we listen to the teacher's story, watch as he downs his beers and shushes the children playing around him. If those were the bad old days, how can sitting in this bar getting drunker by the minute, impatient with the sound of children, be any better? Juan Rulfo has said that the story Luvina was a sort of gateway to his acclaimed novel Pedro Paramo, calling his other stories mere exercises. That would be difficult for many of us who admire all of Rulfo's stories to accept, what is sure is that Rulfo achieves incredible moments in the short stories where, as Susan Sontag wrote, the elaboration of a single event or the introspection of a single character allows him to illuminate the meaning, often the utter despair, of a man's life. Rulfo had many gifts and talents as a writer. He was able to give us the most memorable characters in the most essential and spare terms. Sontag writes, they were like the landscape, frequently clouded over and hazy, or blurred and imprecise and taciturn figures. What does come forth, she says, clear and ubiquitous, is death, overpowering life. We see again and again in these stories a landscape that is bleak and harsh. Life seems paralyzed, and even the introspection of the characters comes through in fits and starts that leave us only clues about characters whose lives remain richly mysterious to us. These are ostensibly simple people whose interior lives are as complicated as any we will ever encounter in literature. That may well be what's before us in this story, an old teacher bemoaning the years he lost in a place that only by his own accounting here wasn't worth living in. But what do we make of the fact that he remained there for 15 years and that it's only now as he sits reaching across the table to take the beer of his listener that he allows the bleak elements of this present situation to color the time he spent in Luvina. Alberto Reyes Morgan, Peter Orner, and I discuss now Luvina by Juan Rulfo. I've got like a, I'm reading uh, Elena Poniatowska's, uh, she's got this book, Ida y Vuelta, mm-hmm. uh, There and Back. She has an interview with Rulfo, and there's a, there's a paragraph, I could read it to you. Uh, the interview is titled The Writer in Flames, and she starts off with this. Uh, Mr. Rulfo, and literature? What do you want me to say? I'm not an intellectual. I was raised in San Gabriel, and people there told me a lot of stories. 
of terrors, of wars, and of crimes. I always lived with men of the country that when the sun sets and they light up a hand-rolled cigarette, they suddenly say to the person that's with them, remember when? And even if the other person doesn't reply, they begin to remember about that time that the Chihu Encantado got caught. They got him while he was sleeping, right? Or when do you think? And they cut off his head from just beneath his beard. So I just think that's kind of a relevant, spe specifically, you know, the, the idea that it doesn't matter if the other person replies, you know, for, for this story in particular. I, I love that. I, I, did you translate that, Beto? Or yeah, that, I, that... I just, I, you know, I've been reading it and I, I know we're, I know we're mainly sticking to the text, but I just thought it was, you know, interesting that he says something so specific. Um, and also Ponya Tosca, she's a great uh, interviewer, writer too, but so she gets this out of him, you know, he just says this because he's kind of usually reserved in a lot of his interviews because he specifically states that in set in that specific interview and in several other interviews that his intent he had a very clear intent with the story it seems to me um or he, you know he said so himself to write a story outside of time and space um that idea really interested him and um although he has also mentioned that the idea of pedro paramo preceded the the plane in flames in a way and it's it was through writing Ludina that he sort of um it seems found a way to achieve that and and I think you know this might be a interesting uh or a good point to go into the text because he sort of does it I think essentially in that uh in that second paragraph there's um it really stands out to me, and it, it always has when I read this story, because that second paragraph of Luvina um, functions sort of as a, as a bridge between the omniscient narrator and the man, the, uh, the, the ex-teacher of Luvina, who is talking to the soon-to-be teacher of um, Luvina. And that second paragraph it, is, it's, it's as if, Rulfo is writing, I've always felt like the act of remembrance. Because we're not we're not with the man yet, but it's moving towards that. You know, it's sort of the story opens up sort of incredibly zoomed out and talks to us about the the highest and the rockiest points of the south, right? Uh, it starts off of all the high ranges in the south, the one in the wind is the highest and rockiest. So it opens up really big and it's sort of starts to zoom in and focus more and more and more until suddenly we're sitting by the third paragraph, we're sitting with the man at the bar, having a beer, talking to the soon to be new teacher of Ruvina. So I think I've gone off on a tangent now, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that works. There's a lot here. <laughs> to, to bring it, I mean, I think, because I think going into the first paragraph is key to positioning this story and, to, and also just like how how it how it starts in motion completely you know right in its like landscape without giving us any introduction about where we are or anything like that i i, I love the way this story opens right and in terms of pedro paramo you know and again you know people listening to this might not know the book or even know any of these stories um i think what 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 this story does and what I think what Pedro Paramo does, like you say, like this out of time and space. And yet the way this story gets there is 
with a great deal of specificity, right? So you've got, you actually are somewhere very particular. Of all the high ranges in the south, the one in Levine is the highest and the rockiest. So a very specific place. So it's a, it's a, it's a fascinating way to start a story that you are then literally, and you're telling us he was literally trying to have it not be grounded in that way. But it's, you know, so it, it's like almost like it starts in plain and flames and like then, then moves off of it. That's how it feels to me, like an inc incredibly specific place that is also very murky. Right. And it's exactly that, right? The, through the specificity of it, it sort of becomes universal. Because um, that first sentence, I was just thinking about this uh, as I was rereading it these few days, um, how important it is that he doesn't write, it's, you know, what he omits is just as important, right? He doesn't say of all the high ranges in the south of Mexico. I mean, that is such a, such a great omission. I feel, I feel like somebody else, you know, I probably would have written that, but he just says of all the high ranges in the South, he, he gives you enough specifics to make it, um, I feel, make it a universal, sort of a bigger story through making it a small story, if that makes any sense. Um, because I kept wondering also, you know, why, why does he care about writing out of time and space? You know, is he just, does he just want to do that out of interest for that? But I think, I think because if he, if he made it outside of time and space, um, it makes it a, a bigger experience in a way. Because as you said, Peter, yeah, the story is, is, it is out of time and space and yet it's, it's called Luvina. We know exactly where we are right. or what the man is talking about at least. So in thinking about this motivation to make it out of time, time and space, and then have this level of, of specificity, and then also the omission of the mention of Mexico, right? Why do you suppose the very next thing is something so, so specific with the shift in point of view that starts with, you'll see that wind blowing over Luvina, um, and what comes next? Like, what, what do you think is, I mean, not, not to like try to read his mind and figure out his thought process, but if we have this information about what his motives were, what he wanted the story to be, why do you think there, there's this teacher now in this, in this cantina? In some ways, we're a little bit pie in the sky for Rufo, right? Already, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, the fact is you have a, you have a, a, a guy in a, in a cantina a store with a bar, he's, he's drinking beers. Someone apparently has come to this place and he has asked, and, and, and this man, the teller of the story has said, Hey, where, you know, who are you, where are you going? And this person apparently told him, although we never get this, this traveler apparently told him, yeah, I'm going to Lavina. And he's like, Oh, Lavina, right. I know Lavina. And I mean, how many times have you been in a situation where somebody pulls rank like this? Like, I, I know the place you're going to. Let me tell you about it. <laughs> that's the that's the sort of premise. It's a it's it's a classic, you know, uh, uh, way of entering a story where, where you, you two strangers meet. One stranger tells the other stranger how it is. That's the that's the for me, that's like the. 
I don't know what you call it, the frame of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, except that here we never get the the person, we never get the listener. So we, in a sense, we are we become the listener in the story. We're the traveler. We're the people going to Lavina. We are now that person, and we are going to Lavina. But before we go there, we're going to hear all about it. From we're going to hear all friend. about the mistake we're making with our life. Yeah. Going exactly. to that place. <laughs> right. Right. And who wants to hear that ever? Right. <laughs> no, I mean, I was just thinking as you're reading this, the the you know, the new teacher, the traveler, he's um I think he's you know, I'm just putting myself in those shoes. Pretty annoyed, right? He's basically just telling this guy, You're making this huge mistake. He's not just telling him about the place, he's telling him, you know, why are you doing this? It's this place is terrible. I mean, not only is it terrible, I mean, it goes at the bottom of the first page, a wind that doesn't even let bittersweet grow, those sad little plants can barely live, holding on for all their worth to the side of the cliffs and these hills as if they were smeared, as if they were smeared onto the earth. Only at times when there's a little shade hidden among the rocks can the uh, chico, how do you say? Chicolate? Chicalote. Chicalote bloom with its white poppies but the chicolote soon withers. Then one hears it scratching the air with its thorny branches, making a noise like a knife on a whetstone. So while on the one hand, it's, it has a sort of a, a premise that we can, we can understand, the people that have pulled rank on me to tell me about where I'm going are not this uh, explicit and don't sort of suddenly, I mean, the story becomes weird right away. And right, and that, and then that that paragraph begins with those uh, suspension uh, ellipses. Is that what that is? So it's it's as if because he, he keep you keep seeing those in the rest of the story. You know, I get the feeling you know when there's a silence and the guy's you know taking a sip of his beer or drink. So yeah, it's you know media res, and he's just we're he's already answering, you know, or not answering the guy's question, probably just talking to the guy who didn't ask anything. Right. He probably hasn't asked a single question. <laughs> That's what it seems like. He Although does it for the rest of the story. <laughs> there's one indication. You asked me something or other. I forget where it is, but uh, it'll come up, I'm sure. But, <laughs> so, like 20, 20 minutes ago, maybe. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yvette? Well, I'm, I'm really stuck with this story on the reliability or unreliability of the narrator. And, and the fact that he really probably thinks he will not dissuade this younger teacher from going to Luvina. The repeated, you'll see, you'll see, you'll see. And then, and he paints this picture that is so bleak and so terrible and then continues with, well, but you'll see, <laughs> you know, because that's what happened to him, right? And so, but also it's, it is this idea that you guys were talking about around, um, almost one-upping himself with every bleak description. The next one is somehow worse than the one before. And, and you know, it is this idea of, um, of owning the space, of owning that place and being the expert on that place. And it sounds terrible. It sounds like a right. terrible place. But, you know, when people talk about certain places um, and they paint them in such grim bleak, horrible ways, um, they usually don't leave that space, right? Or um, 
it's much worse than it, uh, the description is much worse than the actual place. So I'm always immediately into the the notion of the reliability and the unreliability, and I'm fine. I always find I'm in both camps. I do believe it's a it's a bleak, desolate place. I I do believe that it's it's the these these terrible things are the result of what the government hasn't done and and this terrible history, but at the same time, I feel like here's this guy sitting in the bar, drinking more and more, and and there's just more to it, which is which makes the story so rich for me when I can go in, into the motivation of the character. I I wonder if um, you know reading the story this morning, I had I had a reaction. I I, I thought this guy's an entertainer. He's entertaining himself. He's entertaining me with how bad this place is. I want to go there. And that's what I decided today. Like, I'm not <laughs> dissuaded by this. I am not fascinated, right? Right. I mean, if this, how could a place be so bad as this? It's wonder. It's almost like he, I mean, he, you know, he's, he is ginning up his own storytelling. And, you know, as he's drinking, obviously. So, it, you know, I, I mean, we talk about reliability all day. Uh, and I, you know, I'm always wondering, you know, I'd be hard pressed to find like, you know, who is that reliable narrator out there in the world? To, does that person exist? But I yeah. think, I think you bring yourself to every place you enter. Like, I really think, I really think a lot about Rulfo. I mean, I'm picturing Rulfo sitting there at the bar. I really think in terms of, yeah, it really is that terrible. And it really is that enticing. People always describe the phantasmagorical elements of this story. And I always think, no, like this is, this is all too real. And, um, and it is a real place, of course, right? It is a real, there really is a San Juan Luvina, right? So, but and it looks beautiful. They have a Facebook page. <laughs> it's a, it looks it looks quite idyllic. It looks beautiful. Sure, Be- beautiful I'm sure people. they're thrilled about this story. I know. I wonder about that. <laughs> but I mean, it looks like a like a beautiful place, and it looks like many other places I've seen in Mexico. Right. So it's like it is that the specificity of it, the universality of it. It's all there. Um, and I didn't mean like let's get into the unreliable narrator like. Like this is the only place to go with the story. On the contrary, it's it's it almost doesn't matter. It's just all here on the page. He is he. You bring yourself to the the spaces that you enter. That's the perspective now that he's projecting, right? And I don't know. I mean, part of me is feeling a little bit like is this the the his perspective because he's drinking and getting drunker. Or does he drink because this was his reality, right? Um, as a as a teacher in this in this town. There's also the, uh, I think, a point to be made that he's he might just be talking, or at least talking so much. You know, he has all these pauses, and then he'll sort of keep talking again um, to keep drinking. You know, um, it, he drinks the guy's beer, right? He says. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I'm trying to look for it, but drink your beer. I see you haven't even tried it. Drink, or perhaps you don't like it as it is at room temperature. Um, and then at some point later, he just straight up just asks asks him for the beer. 
You know, and with Rulfo, th there's not a single word wasted, as you know. And uh, er, very early on, the, he, the guy is trying to tell the children to be quiet. The children's screams got closer. And he says, get away from here. Stop interrupting. And it's just, it's such a, it's so unusual. If you consider that he has spent years of his life in this terrible Luvina, that it was so quiet and so bleak and so terrible. Um, and now in this other space, he's quieting the children and doesn't welcome those sounds, right? Like maybe that's a little too too on the nose and um, maybe doesn't mean anything. But I'm always struck by that, like these little these interjections of details that seem out of place or like, do we really need to know this? And those are the moments where I dig in a little bit more. Well, I, I do think it's it's relevant that, that that's what I was asking earlier because Luvina, yeah, Luvina is described as a you know terrible place, but the you know the bar the the store, the store isn't uh, all that great either. It's it's being eaten up by termites. Mm -hmm. You know, it, the place is rotting away. The, the place that he's sitting in. Um, so speaking of those details, sort of moving a little bit towards the end of the story where the image that Rulfo leaves us with is the uh, the termites now without wings circled like naked little worms. You know, so even these termites are, are also stuck in that place, you know, they don't have wings anymore, they've been burned. Mm -hmm. Like the guy that's just sort of been sitting there drinking, he probably goes, you know, you'd assume he drinks there every day. We don't really know where he is as far <laughs> as the town or anything, right? Um, he sort of only exists in the only place he really exists with in the story is him remembering this place, Luina, as he talks to the teacher, mm -hmm. to the new teacher. Um, so do, I, I do like those. I do like those uh, details in the, the sort of present of the story, and, and they are very relevant. I think, yeah, no, no word is wasted. The sensory imagery in the story—it's on all levels, all the senses. What you're not tasting or seeing or smelling, right? It's—I mean—it is everywhere in the story. Um, and there's a there's a moment it's on my page 69 where he says no, no matter how you look at it luvina is a very sad place now that you're going there you'll see what i mean i would say it's the place where sadness nests where smiles are unknown as if everyone's faces had gone stiff and if you want you can see that sadness at every turn and later he describes uh the, finally there is a smile but he's but it's not a a good moment, right? When they laugh, it was the only time I saw the people from Luvina laugh. They bared their ruined teeth. It's it's like there's um, uh, pasojos de agua. There's 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 so much that's on a level of uh, sensory imagery that you do feel like this incredible immersion in in the space as he's describing it to this. Uh, this captive audience, you know, this guy sitting there with him at the bar. You know how, I mean, we talk about this, Yvette, like, you know, when you read a story at different times, you know, you have different reaction to it. And I, I just had this, just building, trying to, like, in terms of what you're saying about, like, where he's coming from, the storyteller. It seems to me today, just today, <laughs> that this story is like, less about Luvina and more about what happened to him in this particular town. And I just kept thinking like, 
you know, thinking back to like the worst moments of your my life, where they were, and how I would then describe the place that I that those events took place in, and 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 how that would color everything I would say about that town. I'm not. I mean, I don't deny that there's this horrible wind that there's basically only old people that all the young people have left all those very real concrete details that he is clearly exaggerating in a very beautiful way i mean the, one of my favorite lines in the whole story is on many days it the wind this is the wind he's talking about on many days it carries off the roofs of houses as if it were carrying off a straw hat i love that just like you know the hat is compared to the roofs of the houses. Mm -hmm. um, but but let's maybe interject that, that the storyteller has come to this place years and years ago, which apparently is in the distance, right? I mean, he, he, he I, I don't, do you guys see that, read, read it that way? That Luvina is not, not all that far from where we're sitting at this point, right? Right. Yeah, you get, you get the feeling it's near, physically, I mean, right? So, so he looks out into the distance and at least, you know, if, if not sees Lavina, at least knows it's there. This is the place that he's come, that he once came when he was a young, idealistic, young teacher with his three kids and his wife. And it all went to shit really quickly, <laughs> really quickly. The first day, the first, the mule driver drops them off and does not even wait for the mules to get rested or get some water before he takes off. That's that's a that's rough. That's like, a rough entry. Right? It's like a horror story where they don't want to go into the town with you. <laughs> totally, totally. And Rubo is not above using those kind of tropes, right? No, no. Uh, but but I'll, but I'm just like thinking that that I was just trying to put myself or just kind of the idea of the worst thing that can possibly happen, and we don't know what happened with his wife and his three kids. But but I guess my, my thought is they're not around. You know, he either drank himself half to death in Luvina or something went down there that wasn't wasn't gonna allow this family to stay together. And then now he's got that weight. And so now here here comes some young whippersnapper. Oh, you're going to Luvina? Well, let me tell you. That place. And he doesn't get specific about himself until later in the story, which is when it gets, you know, really beautiful and incredibly hard almost hard to read when you when he's in the church with his kids and they're all huddled together you know trying to stay out of the wind and then and Beto I think we've even talked a lot about this image about the the sound of the bats <laughs> you know just the visceral nature of his experience which happened to him many many years ago uh I just think he you know you were dealing with a haunted guy who is you know, kind of almost wants to voice that hauntedness off on 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 us because we are again that person who's listening to him. I do get the impression that the man and this new teacher um, share the the root the root cause of where these ideas come from, right? The uh, the ideas that he says that infuses all. Um, just to sort of place this in a historical context, it seems like they're talking about uh, the Cardenista uh, push to move teachers into the rural areas of Mexico. So, you know, it seems like he went through the same sort of program. He got these ideas. He says, in those days, I was strong. I was full of ideas. 
And right here comes his new teacher right after the ideas have been being out of him by this place, Luvina, and he lost his wife and his kids. And he sees this new teacher and he's like, oh, now you're the guy, the guy that has, that they got, they, the, the government has put all their ideas into. And, and he's going, and now you're going into this town. And, and, and this little, this paragraph comes right after he speaks about uh, how he, he tried to tell the people of Luvina uh, that the government could help them, right? Which, which is the scene uh, Yvette was speaking of when they just, they laugh and show their broken teeth. There is so much here about old versus young, right? The old versus new and old versus young that um, that fits with this notion of um, how you read something differently. You know, each, each time you read it, you, you come at it sort of with a different mindset. Um, so I, I do see that. You know, here here is this guy who was a teacher who's telling these kids to be quiet, right? <laughs> And warning this guy, telling him how terrible it is. And then I keep thinking about, and this is the guy who sent Agrippina, his poor wife, ahead with the youngest child to scout for a place to sleep. Yeah, I always wonder about that part. <laughs> like, right. He lands there. He's like, okay, go find us some place to sleep. And go find us some food while I stand here and wait for you. <laughs> Today I was reading the story in, in White River Junction, where's, where, I, where I work. It's a town that is. Um, That's the name of the town. Yeah, it's called White River Junction, and it's got two interstates. It's sort of it's becoming gentrified, but it's it's got two inter interstates that intersect eighty nine and ninety one here in Vermont, and uh, and you know it's a it's a town that's seen better days for sure. And I was walking; it was starting to snow, the first first day of snow hmm. today. And I was walking, reading the story, and I just felt like, even though I'm like way up here in Vermont, it just, it felt like, you know, I never, I, no one's out, partly it's the pandemic. I don't know. I, I don't know where this is going, except to say that I was sitting in, the, I, I was cold. I got cold. So I went in the old hotel, which is this old railroad hotel that has never been re, refurbished. It sort of just kind of stays the same. And I love it. And I was sitting in the lobby where you're really not supposed to be because the pandemic, but no one was around, so I was reading. And, and, but there was someone else in there. Uh, and uh, I think kind of out of the cold, I, the front desk clerk walked by this woman and said to her, um, hey, how are you? And, and this woman said, very tired. Today I'm very, I wrote all this down in the margin of the, of the story. Uh, very tired. Today I'm very and the desk clerk says, it's the weather. I find it very hard to, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then she walked by past <laughs> that. And I felt like it was sort of a, you know, I mean, everything's ruleful when you're reading ruleful, right? But it, Those were those ellipses right there. Exactly. I mean, just like, it's all like they understood each other. And I'm, you know, kind of just sitting there, you know, writing it all down <laughs> while they don't know it. But this story just, uh, you know, it's as much to me about how people uh, try and define their lives. And then how then they when their lives are almost over or 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 they've been through all this whatever trauma, whatever you want to call it. And then someone new comes along without all that, you know, baggage or however you want to say it. And then that person tells you, well, hey, look, this kid, this is how it's going to be. This is how it's going to be. This is, this is what's going to happen in your ideas, right? 
And then when you mentioned the government, because that's like the, that's the killer, right? That's when he starts really, really getting to him. Not and he's like, don't even, don't even kid yourself. There's not a chance. I think that's the universality of it, right? I mean, um, sort of speaking to what you said, which which what you saw, you know, Rulfu is everywhere, which <laughs> which I find fascinating that he writes so specifically about a time and a place with not just in, you know. Not just in Spanish, in, in, a, in specifically Mexican Spanish, uh, not even Mexican, specifically Jalisciense Spanish, rural Jalisciense Spanish, um, and he achieves this universality through it. It's a, it's um, quite a feat. And he does say that there's that part near the end. He says, "In those days, I was strong. I was full of ideas. You know that ideas infuse us all." And one goes with a burden on one's shoulders to make something out of one's life. But it didn't work out in Luvina. I did the experiment and it came undone. And I can't help but think about how he tried. He stayed there for all those years. And whatever his standards were, whatever his goals were that were unmet, it's Luvina's fault. Right, which makes me very suspicious. And sad. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's not, not Luvina's fault. It's, Lu, Lu, it's Luvina, our... Luvina, and the people of Luvina, right? He's <laughs> pretty rough on the on the villagers. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now, but now he's now he's rough on the kids that are trying to play. You know that that scene you mentioned, uh, Yvette, earlier uh, on page sixty-eight. The children screamed back close until they were inside the store, and this is the only time we see we we see this a couple times. The narrator of the story, who's the listener, I think, uh, hmm. that made the man stand up, go up to the door and say to them, he, he stands a couple of times, but no description of him, no, you know, it, it, it's, it, you think it's just his voice, but there are moments where, where we see this person sort of get up and go to the door into this incredible space of light, hmm. which is up on page 68. The talking about, he talks about the screams of the children playing in the little space illuminated by the light coming out of the store. The kids are playing in the little square of light coming out of the store. It's just, you know, Rufo never forgets that, that the story is the story, like the story of his time in Lavina, but it's also very much the story of him telling the story in this moment. And it's tiny things, like we talked about earlier, but very these little tiny things. I mean, I, I never forget that square light in those kids. But, and the thing is, I started to hunt for the places where he talks about children and not to fast forward too much, but I'm going to do it on 75 where he says the already distant shouts, uh, the already distant shouting of children through the small sky of the doorway one could see the stars. And I thought about the square of light and I thought about the pat, you know, sort of like this, this repetition of that here, the small sky of the doorway, one could see the stars. And I, not to be too corny, right? But those are the stars over Luvina. And he's the one who's slumped there on the table asleep, drunk with the dead termites around him. And Luvina is over there in the starlight. Makes it sound beautiful. 
we've talked about other the other translation, the one that I was reading for years before this yeah, one came out. I was surprised you 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 told me about this translation. I always thought you preferred the shade. I, I I've been won over. And and I really? think part, part of it part of it is um a line like that, which I, I actually don't have the shade. Like somewhere it's somewhere. But I don't think that line right is translated like that. Do you know can you find that line? Sure. Yeah, at the very end. Yeah. Now we're totally geek geeking out. <laughs> oh no, I mean I was trying not to do this because I have a lot to say about the translations, but well we should oh. we should hold it, but because because I think there's stuff about the story we want to get to, but but definitely I would love to hear the last line. But yeah, the line about the about the um the small sky of the doorway. That's not in the old translation, is it? Mm-mm. Um, no. And actually, remember, he doesn't. This is one of my points when we, when we spoke about this. He doesn't call them termites, also, which was a thing I didn't like. But anyway, yeah. So he says, um, the second to last. Paragraph outside, you could hear the night advancing, the lap of the water against the big tree trunks, the children shouting now far away, the stars peering through the small hole of the door. Hmm. That's not that's not bad, right? <laughs> and he has his points, Shade. Yeah, I mean, he's the one who brought him to us for all these years before before the new translation came out. So I'm grateful for that. And I've tried to read this so many times in Spanish, and I always just you know, it's very, I, I have my friend across the street is from Puebla and he says that oh. the, the, the language seems simple, but it isn't. It's not simple in Spanish and certainly not simple in English, but the, you know, the sentences are sometimes short. That doesn't make it easy to read according to, according to my neighbor. No, he uses very old fashioned, very rural, very Jalisco language. I mean, it is very specific to a time and place. Can we look at um, page... Uh, uh, page 72 so this is where we get a moment break in the page yeah i i think it it's a real significant uh movement here and it it does implicate the or suggest the idea that the that the listener has asked a question at some point in this conversation maybe at the beginning like oh you're from you were in Louvina. how many years how many years were you there like totally innocent question then and then he, he here he waits until fairly late in the story. I believe you asked me how many years I was in Louvina, right? Truth is, I don't know. I lost any sense of time once the fever got me all turned around. But it must have been an eternity. What do you guys make of, of this break and then this movement into Southern? Um, I'll be honest. I had not, I didn't think that that was a question. That's an interesting uh, take. I'd have to think about that. I thought he was getting more booze. I thought it was a break, like in the action of the present, you know, <laughs> like in a movie where it just sort of fades out and then fades back in or something. Um, I think I think it is that, but I think something happens in the telling here. Mm. I would say is the, and and it's just basically transparent. It goes back to what you said at the beginning, Beto, which is is that is what 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 Rolfo declared, and I'm always dubious of that, but what he what he actually said he was trying to do in this story. He says it right here. I lost any sense of time. Right. Once the fever got me all turned around. Must have been an attorney. We we move from any notion that this is sort of a realistic story, even though I will go to my grave saying it absolutely is a realistic same time being a fantastical story. Both. I don't think there needs to be one or the other. It's not magical. This isn't quantifiable. Now suddenly he has no notion of how long he's 
was there. <laughs> it must have been an eternity. I mean, it's it's comic in a way. I mean, I've always found Rulfo to be have a great sense of uh, what do you call it, uh, black humor, you know? Yeah. Um, and it for me, it kind of goes back to what Yvette was saying. Um, she mentioned unreliable narrator because here he says, you know, must have been an eternity, right? Lit textually, but it must have been an eternity. Page later, or two pages later, he says it was 15 years ago. <laughs> um, so I guess it wasn't an eternity after all. Right. Or it's um, both, right? I mean, 15 years can right. be an eternity, right? I mean, it, it circles around, but absolutely, that's hilarious. <laughs> but that that's the mark of somebody who, you know, who's who's talking to you and exposes himself as a as a liar right or at least to be more kind you know his exaggeration ebbs and flows right <laughs> so we would say in spanish tiene labia like yeah. the, guy, the guy knows how to speak he really you know he really puts the the crema on the top uh -huh. you know <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because he does. He does that. He lays it on so thick and you can begin to believe it and just respect him for his point of view. And in the very next beat, he's um, disavowing the whole thing, right? Or he's contradicting. He's contradicting the whole thing. Because he's keeping the story going, right? I mean, what the object of this is to get more beer. <laughs> and he's singing for his supper. It's, this is an old trick. It, you don't have to tell somebody a happy story to get the beer. You just got to tell them a story, right? <laughs> and a story that you're going to fall into. And especially one that, and especially like, how about a horror story, right? Oh, you want to, you're going to Louvina? Oh, I got a story for you, right? This is, oh my God, is it bad there? But it's so bad. The women are bats. You know, I mean, it's, it's bad. But this is his story. This is his, this, you know, everybody yes. has a story. This is his story. When, to go back to the part where Beth uh, was, was uh, quoting about the 15 years, he says, um, I was told the same thing. You're going to San Juan Lubina. It's so at the fore of his mind. It's so on the tip of his brain, right? Like this is the guy's whole story. Um. It just, and it's not just like it left its mark and it made such an imprint. When this, this is his story. This is the story he tells at bars. This is the story he'll tell in the lobby of a hotel, right? right. This is his story. And right, Camilo, Camilo, the bartender, the store tender has probably heard this thousands of times. <laughs> More than that, probably. And I would just add, I'd, I'd just add that he's selling it cheap. There's a James Allen McPherson story, one of my favorites called, uh, um, uh, Gold Coast. And in that story, it involves a, an apprentice janitor talking to a janitor. And at one point, the apprentice janitor is the narrator of the story says, you know, Sullivan was telling me the stories of a lifetime, you know, for, 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 for basically a, a glass of wine, you know, really, really cheap. And it strikes me as at a certain point, I think everybody gets there. And I, 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 you know, absolutely, Yvette, this is, this is his story, except that it, with, 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 with the really painful parts omitted, mm -hmm. right? What happened to those three kids? Mm -hmm. What happened to his wife? Probably the reason he's drinking, right? I find so compelling something I'm embarrassed I've, for all the times I've read this story. I've never thought of the younger teacher as the first narrator. 
I had not either. Peter just blew me away with that one too. Well, I might be totally making that up, but um... <laughs> I, I have I'd have some questions for you about that if we if we talk about this later, though. <laughs> I mean, I I you know, and it's not a I don't think it's a huge deal, but I I, I feel like from the very beginning of the story, that's how I feel. I feel like it's it's you know there are two there are two storytellers in the story. The one who's every every the one who's not speaking when the storyteller is on stage and that is the person who's listening to all of this but that's just my no i think it's interesting i, I don't i don't know why i had never considered that i think because the beginning feels so um the first paragraph feels so uh omniscient to me i guess is the word missionary <laughs> but um yeah i'd have to think about that it's i mean I, you know to get all geeky and crafty Beto I mean I, I you know I think it can be both I mean I think I think it's I think Rufo is like any great one he's slippery there isn't yeah you know no, like, I, mean, I, buy it. I buy it yeah you know I just I, I feel like uh I mean I, I I feel it in the end too you know the man who was watching the termites slumped over the table and fell asleep we got to be in the room for that well that that's kind Whether of not you, said a, that, you said that and I was reading that a little part right now and yeah it really feels like that's somebody in there with him yeah, but you know, an omniscient narrator can be in the room. That's the point of them. But it feels like to me, there's somebody sitting there. But but yeah, it feels like I'm saying like it's yeah. Sorry, it feels like it's the guy that's been there the whole time. And because it's the same outside, one could hear the night advancing. That's the same sentence we got um, a few pages back. So you know, I guess it would. It's an interesting thing. It would make sense if it's let, the same guy. Let me ask this: What what are the images? What are the, what are the things that like recur when you think? about this story and people are going to think we're crazy because like we're probably <laughs> between the three of us probably have a lot of readings of this story like more than most normal people would ever imagine right but I mean Levine is a story you don't read it once you read it you know you read it 12 times like that's that that's just how this goes with Rufo right but what are the images that that recur in your minds when you think about the story think of the the store I think it feels to me, you know, where where the two men are. Um, it it feels like one of those um, small, desolate, rural Mexican towns where the same store harbors a halfway pharmacy, store, halfway bar, sort of everything contained in one little four walled space, you know. And this the two guys sit there, um, and the only description we get is. It's a table, and we had no. There's an oil lamp, and the place is being eaten by um, termites. So that's really, I really stay with that image, and then sort of Luvina, because it's, I mean it's funny, it's called Luvina, but Luvina itself pops up only after I think about where they are. Hmm. I mean, I think that's just fat. Like, I mean, fascinating. I mean, I think Rolfo would be very interested to know that the, you know, kind of where the story was told about some other place. That's what stuck with you. I mean, that's. Because there isn't a ton about the store. I mean, the store. No, there's there's nothing. There's there's two objects. That's all we got. Right. Except, but there is a lot. I mean, we got the bartender. We got the, we got the light. We got the the kids. We got that weird square of light, and we got the termites. Well, and, and then what happens with with you know everyone's brain works differently. But you know, as I'm reading the guy talking, you know, there are the moments where he's specifically describing Luvina, the air, you know, that, that wind that haunts you and got inside of him, all of that. But in, in a lot of moments, he's just 
you know, he's you know, where he's looking at the beer, he's like, you know, are you gonna drink that? Or how about we get some mezcalitos once he wants to towards the end, once he wants to hit, he wants to hit the harder stuff. Um so there's a lot of moments with him just being in that space in the present. Um and and yeah, I mean I find the guy kind of fascinating and uh and very personable, you know. Let's say he knows how to tell tell a tale. I think about the time where he describes the driver leaving them there. Before that, when he says, um, I have no problem going on telling you what I know in regard to Luvina. I lived there. I left my life there. I went to that place with my illusions intact and came back old and used up. And later it talks about how he couldn't get the guy to stay and let the animals rest and and he says, nothing but the plaza, without a single plant to break the wind, we stayed there. You know, it was that that initial imprint was negative for him. The guy wasn't going to stay around, and his interpretation was, this must be a hell. This must be a terrible place. And allows that sort of to, to take hold. So this idea of um, it's easy to look at things from over here, merely recalled from memory where there's no similarity, he also says. So I, you know, th there's that song by U2 where Bono sings, you glorify the past when the future dries up. And I see so many instances of that in literature, you know, through a, a character who's been very nostalgic, like, uh, you know, the, the mother in, in the glass menagerie, recalling all her gentleman callers, right? Um, and how great her youth was and how everything was so wonderful and perfect and now everything's terrible but this this character is something happened something happened where he he believes that in the, in that past of his that dried up you know you glorify the past when the future dries up but he's he's really turned that on its head and because where he is now, I suppose, he has nothing. I mean, it's that much worse. He's drunk. That's really all we know about this character today is that he's drinking way too much. And I don't know, in my experience, somebody who reaches across the table and drinks the other person's beer has got a problem. So, <laughs> um, and not just that he's in that moment of, you know, feeling pretty good and, and, is a little loose-lipped and telling a telling a great story. Um, I just think that it's so easy as to say it again. It's so easy to blame the past for where you are right now, and never have have had that moment where you had to buck up and get it together because you're you, the baggage from the past is always with you, and you have to make that decision to to turn the corner, right? And um, he hasn't done that. And this is this this is a lot of people's story, right? Sadly. Yeah, and I and I think he's so transparent about where he's throwing the blame around, even to a point of, I mean, where I almost think this, you know, I think the story is, you know, could be read as a confession as much as anything else. I left my life there in that paragraph that you mentioned. In that that strange sentence, which you know. It'd be great to look at the Spanish and see how well the translator did. It's easy to look at things from over here, merely recalled from memory where there's no similarity. 
And I think your interpretation that through Bono helps me understand the sentence actually, because I don't understand it really. Hmm. And then further on though, he, you know, it cuts to the whole chase of the story. I have no problem telling you uh, what I know in regard to Lavina. I lived there, period. I left my life there. I went to that place with my lesions intact, et cetera. But I left my life there. That is, I think that that's, you know, what happened in Lavina. He left his wife and kids in Lavina, I think. Well, I think that um, that sentence there, that's also, you know, that's part of the warning, right? It's, it's easy, you know, what, what you're seeing, you start, I guess he's sort of telling the guy what you're seeing now, me here drunk talking about this might seem like nothing, but when I was there, it was, you know, an arduous experience. For me, the, the scene that, uh, that, that always stays with me is the, the, the image of this family on their first night in Lavina, huddled together in a church and then in the morning, in the back of the church, they're trying to get out of the wind. There's a hole in the roof of the church. It's not like they can get much warmth in there. But in, it, right before um, sunrise, Rupo writes, the wind calmed down a bit before sunrise. Later on, it came back. It was a moment at dawn when everything became still, as if the sky and the earth had joined together, crushing all sounds with their weight. You could hear the children breathing, now more relaxed. I could hear my wife breathing heavily next to me. And this is when they then hear the, the bat noise, which turns out to be these, these women who are up early in the morning to get water. But I wanted to just pause at that moment of this family huddled together, because I think the story with a lot of Rufo, you, you have to really slow down to see that it isn't all despair. You know, I don't, I don't read that scene totally despairingly with this family. At one point, we're huddled together and he's listening to his kids breathe. Um, it's not much, but it's something. Juan Rulfo is the author of Luvina from the collection Eliano en Llamas. It's translated by Elon Stavans and Harold Augenbrom in The Plane in Flames, published by the University of Texas Press. Alberto Reyes Morgan is a graduate of the MFA program for writers at Warren Wilson College. He's written and translated for the Voice of Witness oral history book series titles Solito Solita, Youth Migrants from Central America, Underground America, Narratives of Undocumented Lives, and others. His story, Salt, was published in the fall 2020 issue of the Michigan Quarterly Review. He also translated for us the excerpt from The Writer in Flames from the interview collection De Vuelta by Elena Poniatowska. He spoke to us from his home in Mexicali, Baja, California. Peter Orner is the author of six books, including the story collection Maggie Brown and Others and the memoir and essays Am I Alone Here? He holds the professorship in English and creative writing at Dartmouth College. This has been The Lonely Voice with Peter Orner from Book Public from Texas Public Radio. Write to us at bookpublic at tpr.org. Jacob Rosati composed our theme music. Bree Kirkham is our digital producer. Dan Katz is Texas Public Radio's news director. I'm Yvette Benavides.